I'm Hannah Smay. And I'm Haley Robinson. And this is the Wild Idaho Podcast, coming to you from the Idaho Conservation League. The Idaho Conservation League is Idaho's leading voice for conservation, protecting the air you breathe, the water you drink, and the lands you love. Each month, we'll be exploring a new topic or current event that impacts the environment in Idaho. Join us to learn about the work we're doing and how you can get involved. Thanks for listening. Hey, Hannah. Hey, Haley. How's it going over in Boise? It's going pretty good. Uh, starting to get a little bit cold now that it's in November, but yeah, things are cooking right along. Today on Wild Idaho, we're going to talk about one of ICL's partnership programs, our Artist in Residence program, affectionately called AIR. I love how I call it the AIR program. It's so environmental. We're keeping things on brand over here. So after Hannah and I tell you a little bit about the AIR program, Hannah has a special interview that she did with Carl Rowe, who's ICL's 2019 Artist in Residence. Um, They did this interview while they were out on tour together. He recently did a statewide tour where he was taking all the paintings that he did during his ICL residency and kind of touring them throughout different parts of Idaho, which sounds like it's been really fun. It's been super fun. Um, Before I go into that, Haley, since I'm pretty new to ICL, do you want to give me and our listeners just a little background on the AIR program? Like, how did it start, and what's kind of the goal of the program? Yeah, I'd love to give a little background. So the Artists in Residence program has been going on at Idaho Conservation League since 2013. We're now on our, let's see, sixth, I believe, Artists in Residence is Carl Rowe. And in the past, we've had so many different talented painters and photographers who've contributed a lot of beautiful artwork And kind of the theme of the Artist in Residence program is to explore the nexus of art and nature and to share beautiful places in Idaho and use their creative ways, their creativity and talents to connect with the conservation community in a new and artful way. So ICL's Artist in Residence for 2019 is Carl Rowe. And Carl Rowe is an amazing person and an amazing contemporary landscape painter. He's won numerous awards, including the Idaho Governor's Award for Excellence in the Arts, Honorable Mention Fellowship in Fine Arts from the Idaho Commission on the Arts, and the Culture and Conservation Award from the Land Trust of the Treasure Valley. Carl was unanimously selected as the recipient of the City of Boise's Mayor's Award for Excellence in the Arts in 2015, and before his career as a painter, Carl worked as a dancer and a choreographer and served as the artistic director of Idaho Dance Theater. He told me that his career in modern dance and his experience on stage is what taught him about light and form, and boy, let me tell you that Carl's paintings have absolutely stunning play with light and form. I had no idea that Carl was a dancer and choreographer. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, and yeah, totally agree. His landscapes are, his landscape paintings are absolutely stunning. And I love the ones where the hills really emphasize the shadows and um, so many dimensions. And it's also incredibly impressive. I can't believe that he's painted 50 paintings this year for the Artist in Residence program alone. And I know that his goal that he articulated was to travel around and paint all of Idaho from Canada to Nevada. Just a little project. Yeah, just just a little just a little teeny tiny thing to do over the course of a year. So not only did he paint all of Idaho, but as his residency comes to an end, he's bringing his paintings on tour throughout Idaho, as Haley said. And last week, I had the pleasure of joining Carl and his wife Tracy on the first leg of the tour. Um, usually, the ICL artist has an exhibition in their 
hometown, but Carl wanted to do something grander. We started with a show in Pocatello and took 20 plus paintings and easels in one car to Twin Falls, Ketchum, and Chalice. We were basically a traveling pop-up show. And every night was different because the paintings changed really drastically under different light. And depending on the different spaces we were in, we were like in an old building in Pocatello, in like an auditorium space in Twin, in an art gallery in both Chalice and Ketchum. Just every space was different. And so the paintings looked different under the lights. Yeah, it sounds awesome. And I'm excited. Um, Listeners, don't feel like you've missed out because there are multiple more shows coming up on his tour Uh, Next, Carl's showing his artwork in Boise, and then in December, he'll take a show back on the road and go to McCall, Lewiston, Coeur d'Alene, Moscow, and Sandpoint. So if you're in town for any of those shows, you do not want to miss it, and you can check out ICL's website to find the dates um, of all of those shows, and we hope that you'll join for some of them. Definitely. Everybody who walked into the room with the paintings in them on our tour was blown away by how vibrant the paintings are. They just blow you away. And after spending four days, consecutive days with his work, I can tell you that there's like a special energy in the paintings. They're like lit up from within. And it's fascinating because he just captures Idaho in such a unique and beautiful way. And particularly some of like the rural areas of Idaho that I think can be, you have to have a special eye for capturing the beauty of it. And he does it so well. They're all so captivating. Yeah, it's a really special show. Well, with that little intro, let's turn it over to the interview that Hannah and Carl did when they were reporting on tour. Hello, listeners. We are here in Chalice, Idaho, reporting from the field with Carl Rowe, ICL's 2019 Artist in Residence. How's it going, Carl? It's going great. Good. It's really going great. Good. What have you been up to? Well, I've been up to a lot because the residency is a year long. Yeah. And we're kind of, we're kind of at the tail end of it. And so what I've been doing for the residency, I started out, I got to thinking about what I wanted to do and, and realized I wanted to really emphasize the diversity of the landscape of Idaho because the ICL is a statewide organization and they do work all over the state. So I wanted to make this as statewide as I could. And I decided I was going to, when the weather turned good in the spring and early summer, I was going to take off and do some traveling around the state. I've been to many places in the state before, but I was going to be more purposeful about it this time. So the first thing I wanted to do was to uh, get acquaint myself with the Snake River, because that's one of the big projects of the ICL for the year and for probably several years. For many, many years. Many years. Yeah, our Snake River campaign is, the way we've been describing it is it's a long-term, kind of multi-generational even, very daunting project, as you probably noticed when you were on tour. I did. And actually, what it made me realize was how little I knew about the Snake River. Of course, I've seen it in many of the usual places we see it especially if you go to Twin Falls. We all have to go across the bridge to get to Twin Falls. And a couple other places I've been, I've seen it around Marsing and uh, oh, uh, down around Hagerman because I, I have a friend that lives down there. So I've seen some of it, but I decided to see as much of it as I could from where it enters Idaho, out of Wyoming. And I thought I was going to go 
as far as I could go before I reached the, the Hell's Canyon wilderness area where there are no roads. So I anticipated I'd go all the way uh, through the dams that are uh, in Hell's Canyon. I didn't quite make that, but I got to Marsing. <laughs> so I got quite a ways. It took me a long time, which is why I didn't uh, actually get all the way because it just took up too much time. And so I was going to try to go to the rim of the, or the shore of the Canyon of the Snake and see as many places as I could get to. So that was my goal. And I've discovered that that was harder than I anticipated because a lot of the rim of the snake on both sides is private land, either agricultural, and a lot of the agricultural use of land, it goes right up to the rim of the canyon. And a lot of it is, uh, especially between Burley and Hagerman, is residential development. And I, I found out that that makes it very hard to get to the rim of the canyon. And even in places uh, where you can, you have to work at it. It's not obvious, there are no signs, Snake River this way. Uh, it's not meant for public access. It is not meant for public access. There were one or two places I found, there was one by near Bruno, uh, sand dunes where there was actually a public access site. You could put a small boat in or something like that. But most of the time, especially in the eastern part of the state, uh, I would I would be driving on the whatever paved road was close to the snake, and I was using Google satellite a lot. <clears throat> and my I have an Idaho uh, atlas mm -hmm. map that's pretty detailed, using that a lot. And I would just look to see if there was any kind of road that was heading toward this snake. And I'd, they were usually gravel. And I'd turn on that road and head toward the snake. And many times, I'd wind up in somebody's yard. And that was as far as the road went. Or I'd wind up in some field. I wound up in a dump. I wound up in all kinds of places. Oh my gosh. And still couldn't get to the river, to the canyon rim. The Snake River is... Uh, an inaccessible river. So much of it is inaccessible. I imagine you could put a boat on it somewhere and float through this section. I don't know where you would put that boat in, but you, I assume anybody could get on the river and float through. But you can't get to the rim, you can't look at it, you can't hike down its walls or whatever. It's just not accessible that way. That is so different from so many of other, of Idaho's other environmental features, other rivers, the wilderness areas, the places yeah. that make Idaho super special are so many of them are public and accessible right. and publicly owned, whereas <clears throat> the snake is one of these gems of Idaho that is the lifeblood of southern Idaho. And it, as you said, it's gorgeous. It's a spectacular desert canyon, and yet it is privatized. It is a spectacular uh, desert canyon, and it's interesting because there, especially between Burley and oh, I would in, I would go all the way to Swan Falls. It has a canyon. It has a deep, uh, deeply cut and varied and interesting canyon. East of Burley, the the river is barely below the land around it. There's really no canyon at all. The river is just like a. A stream of water running, actually it's not, I take that back, 
there's not a lot of running water because it's all dammed up from there. And there are several dams that run up until the, we, the first thing Idaho does to the Snake River when it comes out of Wyoming is we dammed it. And thank you, we're Wyoming for the water and we're gonna plug up the river and use it. And then there's dams all along the agricultural area of Southern Idaho and it is the lifeblood. If that river weren't there, none of that agriculture would be there. And so what I, what I realized was that uh, a lot of it, a lot of that stream of water does not act like a river at all. But there are places, especially in the deeper canyon, if you can get to them, there are places where it behaves like a river. It has a current, has a strong current. There's, there's water in it moving. It's got riparian areas where there's plenty of things growing around. There's birds everywhere, lots of bird life, and rapids and rocks, and it's acting like a real river. Mm-hmm. You can see glimpses of what it used to be. So that was, that was what I learned from it. There are just some really t- fabulous sections of the river, but it's a worked worked over river, we've, we take water out of it, we dump stuff into it, we beat it up. And mm-hmm. it's kind of a beat up river. Yeah, it is kind of wrong, like a, like a dish towel. Yeah. You know, it's just wrong. That's right. But that was just one of the rivers that was. you explored during this year. Yes, so I, later in the summer, I went on another uh, long trip, even longer, and I went, I decided to try to go all the way to Canada and then come back down through the eastern side of the state. I didn't quite make it to Canada because there was a traffic jam in Bonners Ferry. Oh no. But I made it to Bonners Ferry, which is only 12 miles from the border, Basically something like that. Canada. And so I went all the way up that side. And of course, uh, I picked up the Salmon River uh, in Riggins and followed that for a while. And of course, Highway, what is that? Highway 95. Think, yeah. uh, follows the Sam, Salmon River to Whitebird. The whole way, the river's right there. And, and I thought, you know, I can see this river constantly as I go through this canyon. And there's some parts of the Salmon River on the western side of the state that are really spectacular, even, even with the road running along the river. Really beautiful, beautiful canyons where it comes out of Riggins. And so at Whitebird, I know it then turns uh, west again and heads over and joins the snake, which I've, I've floated that part of the river before. And then I went up uh, to northern Idaho and came back and went along the, uh, the Locksaw. I saw the Locksaw River, the Coeur d'Alene River, and I realized the whole, the whole thing was a lot about water and rivers. And of course that made me it impressed upon me how important water is. Obviously to everywhere, but especially to Idaho. We're a very vertical state. Our, a lot of our moisture gets dumped into the mountains. The mountains collect it. it. Gravity pulls it down into our rivers, and that's what brings life to the entire state. And so it really became a trip about water. Mm-hmm. And then after I went across Route 12, uh, from the Palouse over to, of course it puts you out in Missoula, and then I came back down into the state. Uh, North Fork is the first place. And at North Fork, I turned west and, and went and followed the salmon over to the confluence, 
with the middle fork because I just wanted to see that. That and that's a beautiful section of of the Salmon River, and so I, then I went back to North Fork and then came south, went through Salmon and Chalice, and and then I went over to uh, Mackey and the Lost River Range, and I really loved that entire trip. I took many side trips off the highway, gravel roads mostly, going up some fork of the river, and it was just such a beautiful part of the state. And again, through that entire trip, the salmon was right there, next to the road for almost the whole way. If I wanted to, I could have pulled over and walked down to the river, and I certainly could see it. And of course, the river is responsible for all the landscape around. It's what's worked it over the thousands and thousands of years. And I realized that the salmon is a real river. It's not dammed up. It's free-flowing. It behaves like a river. It's got a strong current, lots of water, uh, rapids, uh, calm sections, uh, lots of wildlife along its corridor. And it's just a, it's a spectacular river. It's what a river, river really looks like, how it really behaves. And I realized, I really, I think my, my affection for the river just increased by that realization this is, it's a very long river, it's in the, and it begins and ends all in Idaho, and it's a wild river, and it's a real special river. It's, uh, I think it's one of the gems of the state. It, it's uh, just marvelous. So that was a real, uh, that was one of the happiest parts of, of the year, was just kind of getting reacquainted with the Salmon River and realizing what a, what a marvelous part of our landscape it is. That's amazing. And you also went on the Middle Fork, too. I mean, you after that, you got to float this iconic, wild and scenic river in the middle of the Frank Church Wilderness with ICL folks. Um, and so that's just another arm of that river that, you know, you got to float from... Where did you start? You flew into... Well, we flew into Indian Creek. Into Indian Creek, and you floated out to... To the confluence. To the confluence where you had driven to before. So exactly. So it just you know, is another critical artery of that river. It was, and I have, uh, I have a real fond place for the Middle Fork in my, in my heart because I've been down it 10 times before uh, as a private boat person, mm-hmm. and it's where I learned to row boat and took uh, several trips, all adventures, private trips with friends, and it's a place where you just can't get tired of it. it. It's just one of the more remarkable places, I think, on the planet. goes through so many changes from high alpine forest through kind of a more deserty, flat, flatter, wider uh, area, and then enters the, the third, uh, fourth deepest canyon in the country, in the continent, mm-hmm. through uh, Impassable Canyon. Mm-hmm. And that's just... Uh, the It's... The only way through there is on the river. There yep. are no trails. There's nothing. You do, you have to float through, and you have to deal with it on its own terms. You know, I mentioned the, the salmon is a real river. The Middle Fork is a real wilderness river. It's just, it's you know, it's been touched by people from 10,000 years ago with their pictographs and, the, and their, their presence. I learned from that trip that they, they did not navigate the river. 
they were there was something about their culture or their their point of view where they never got on the river. They were along the river. They were along the river. They were along the river. In that, mm-hmm. that area. Wow. And so uh, even even our ancestors that were here before didn't experience the way we do with mm-hmm. our our modern boats. Yeah. And it was it was the highlight of of the year. Yeah. It was absolutely. Uh, it's so interesting to hear you talk about all these places in Idaho that. Many of them I have been to and experienced since I was a kid, but many of them I haven't been to, like the Middle Fork, I haven't been there. But just hear you describe them and the way that you describe the water, you know, shaping the landscape. And so not only did you go on all these travels, you also painted (laughs) scenes from all these travels. Mm -hmm. And so what was your process like? You painted 50 paintings. Yeah. Well, my process is I I take photos uh, wherever I go. I only paint places I've been, and I only use source material that I've taken. That's just a, that's part of my uh, regimen, and uh, I think it's important. And so I take hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of photographs. I maybe drove people crazy on the river trip because I just rode in the front of the boat constantly, uh, seeing. I mean, once when you when you're looking for things, when you're look looking for compositions, where you're looking for unusual things, forms and shapes and the way light is playing. You see it everywhere. And so, it's, and they're such short-lived things because you're moving and the light's changing. So I'm constantly capturing whatever it is that I'm, my eye is catching. And, and the professional boatman guide who was on, he was, he'd give me a hard time about you take pictures of the strangest things. There's a rock. You take a picture of a rock over there. I'm trying to avoid rocks. <laughs> and I say, well, it's an amazing rock. I want to take a picture of this. I might want to paint it. So that's what I do. I take lots and lots of pictures. And on all the trips I did, I took uh, just hundreds and hundreds, way too many. In the digital age, we can afford to take a lot of pictures. In the old days, you took, you know, I took slides and filmed, and, and you were didn't want to waste film (laughs) and you'd have to wait days to get them developed and that's those days are gone so then I go through a process of of culling all that because there's a lot that you throw away Mm -hmm. and I'm just looking for the real special ones and the ones that kind of give me the feeling I had when I was there and what I was looking for and what I was thinking about and and what I want to because it takes time to make a painting and and I don't want to put that time in on something that I'm not really connected to. So I go through this, I go through these images, I'll put them together, I'll sometimes I'll combine elements from some into others and, and I use them, I use them mostly for shape and form. Because it's important to me, for some reason, I don't understand this entirely, because some artists like to make stuff up. Uh, and I want to represent the forms that I see in nature, because a lot of my paintings are a kind of an homage to nature, and I, I can't improve it. It's so great the way it is, and especially the forms, because the forms are the building blocks of what you see. And so I, I, I use the photographs a lot to remember just how these forms fit together. And then I'm, I'm much freer with, well, detail I have to decide. I only want to use enough detail to suggest What's there? Because you can never, and it, a, a painting that included all the detail would be an awful painting. 
It'd be a photograph. And so I have to make those decisions. And, and these that almost involves more of an abstract way of looking at things. You're abstracting what you've seen. And then I'm pretty free with the color I use. I feel like, because the color that is out in nature changes constantly, depending on the light. So I feel quite happy about being free with the color because I've used some fairly outrageous colors sometimes and people will say, I've seen that just like that. And I think, well, you have really? Well, great, but I can understand that gives the impression when there's a really rich red in a in a, a landscape because the light is coming through in a certain way toward evening and it's, there might be something in the sky that's making the light redder and so the hills light up that way or something. It's possible and so I, I make use of that. I think so we were just on tour, Pocatello on a Wednesday. Twin Falls on Thursday, Ketchum Friday, last night, and then we just are finishing our Chalice show today, which is the first leg of your tour. And I, I remember people telling me, I think last night or the night before, like the same thing you just said. I've seen that color before. I've seen that canyon be purple like that. I've seen the hills be blue. Like I've seen these, they, there's, your colors are so rich, and maybe you are free with them, but you know. You've lived in Idaho for a long time, mm -hmm. and you, I think, represent the feeling that you get when you look at I hope shadows so. on a hillside or the shade of a canyon. I hope so. Uh, and I, you know, there are lots of different ways to, to do art and lots of different reasons to do it. And every artist makes choices about uh, how they approach that, and there are no right an answers or right approaches. It's very personal. It's why we have so many artists. And... I, I like to uh, use color that is, even if it's pretty strong color, you still, you still see that as a landscape and you still think it's a possibility. I don't use color for its own sake. I don't try to make a colorful canvas just to make a colorful canvas. I don't try to introduce a bunch of color that um, just for its own sake. And I know that there are other artists that do, because that's what they're interested in. I am a landscape painter. I don't want to be slavish to the subject matter. I don't want to be uh, pedantic about it. I want to be creative with it. But I, uh, it, there's, a, there's a respect for the landscape that I want to preserve. I want it to be suggest the kind of experience I have when I'm in it, because that's why I paint in the first place. It's the landscape that uh, stimulates me in an aesthetic way to want to, to do something with what I'm seeing and to capture the feeling that I'm having in this in this landscape because I identify with it so strongly. I'm very interested in why people like certain landscapes more than others. I find that very interesting. And as a conservationist, I think it's an important thing to consider because some people are willing to absolutely obliterate a landscape. They feel nothing for it. And the, the less you feel for something, the more you're willing to destroy it. But if you have some sort of strong connection to a landscape, you're much less likely to want to ruin it. You're more likely to want to preserve it and care for it because you care for it. You may not even be able to describe why. It's just that you like how you feel in it. You like the way it looks, you like the way it makes you feel when you look at it, or, or when you're standing in a, a box canyon 
and it just gives you a certain kind of feel, you, you, that feeling is valuable to you. And I think uh, we learn to some extent how to value that. We instinctively value some things and we learn how to value some things. But when we talk about the conservation of land, we often are trying to appeal to people to care for something. And in the same way that we care about people we love or uh, objects we own or memories we have about something, we, we are a species that cares about something and about things and about people. And so we are more likely to protect and nurture the things we care about. Absolutely. And in conservation, in Idaho Conservation League, we talk a lot about wildlife values or ecological values or the value of having something not be polluted to mm -hmm. a terrible extent. And your paintings and your project for this year has been to explain, describe, visualize the aesthetic values of a landscape and sort of communicate and argue that we should protect places in Idaho simply because they are beautiful and they give us that feeling that you just described and they make us care, not necessarily because of the scientific facts or the sadness of you know, a species going extinct, um, but because of the colors and the forms and the composition and the changing light on the landscape, all those things impact us and are among the reasons why conservation is important. The middle fork of the salmon is a good example of that. The middle fork of the salmon doesn't grow any crops, it doesn't feed any cattle, it doesn't do anything for us. We've left it alone to just flow like a river flows. And all the other animals and species and plants that thrive in that climate are able to live there as they've lived there for thousands and thousands of years. And so it is not practical to us. The middle fork is not practical to us. And yet we've set it aside so it stays that way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's remarkable. And one thing came to mind while you were talking, and that was, was an experience I had actually in the Grand Canyon, floating the, Grand, floating the Colorado River. We made a stop once at Tapete's Creek and camped. And there was, there's a river, it's the shortest, supposedly the shortest river in the country. It comes out of the canyon wall and falls, I think, for a mile down to the river. And so it, it is not impacted by anything in its, in its path, in its journey. And we hiked up, and I think it's called Thunder River, if I remember right. And we hiked up to it, and we drank from it just leaned over and you just drink because there's no, there's no chance of giardia, there are no animals anywhere, there's no chance of anything. It's just coming, it's, it's traveled underground for I don't even know how long, a long, 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 long ways. It's completely submerged subterranean river and it comes roaring out, that's why it's called Thunder River, it comes roaring out, a lot of water and it's the most delicious water I've ever had. And, it, and it, to think, we all mentioned this at the time, you can just lean over and drink this water and it's delicious. You don't filter it, you don't, uh, you don't dig it out of a well, you don't do any, it just is there and you just drink it and it's 
and, and it even tastes different. There's mm-hmm. something, I couldn't get enough of it. We put it in our containers and we just, we drank until we, our stomachs were bulging. It was such good water. Oh, that is so special. I imagine there, there are a lot of places like that. There aren't a lot of About lot of 300 places. years ago yeah. in Idaho and across the West. That's right. All right, before we wrap it up, I just want to ask you about your tour. So you spent the year traveling Idaho, taking pictures, and then going back to your studio in Boise and painting the gems, 50 gems, <laughs> 50 plus. And then with your paintings in the back of your car, <laughs> you set out on tour. And so can you just tell me a little bit about, tell us and our listeners a little bit about kind of your intention and your hope for this tour and where you're going next on tour. Well, I wanted to do something different with this residency. I, I really don't know what other artists have done, but I wanted to put my own stamp on it. And I wanted my own idealism to come through in the experience. And we have to, part of the residency is to do an exhibit in our home city, which is Boise for me, which we're going to do next week. Mm-hmm. But I realized I wanted to do something more. And because the ICL is a statewide organization and does work all over the state. We have members I've all over the got state. Members all over the state. Communities that are engaged everywhere. So I wanted to show the work in, in more of the state than just Boise. I wanted to include more rural towns and, and smaller towns that uh, don't have access to the same uh, cultural things we do in Boise. Uh, I didn't know quite how I was going to do it because taking a painting tour, <laughs> a painting, bunch of paintings on tour has some challenges, and, but it was kind of what I wanted to do. I wanted to, I wanted to share it with a wider audience, a more diverse audience, and especially with people who don't know me so well or at all. And so I did know that the best way of going about that was to work with communities that had an arts council because I would need a partner. Uh, some I would need people in the community that knew the community, had connections, had email lists, and who had who could help me pull this off. So I contacted arts councils uh, in various towns and to my delight, every single one of them said, that sounds like a good idea, let's do it. That was almost without hesitation. A couple said, well, I have to take it to my board, we have to vote on it. <laughs> but they all signed up. And it's been, it's been really very interesting working with these different councils. I, I actually met with them personally in my, during my travels. And we've been planning it together in each community. It's, it's different in each community. And it's, uh, now we're, we've already finished one leg of it, and it's, it's as good as I hoped. It's been really fun. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. We are taking the paintings in the car, also with a package of wooden easels <laughs> that Carl has constructed, and we had to repair one of them even mm-hmm. on the way and some of them are on top of the car it's but it all fits in the, mm-hmm. in the car mm-hmm. and when you put them all up in the art show it's like how did all of the kind of like spreads out yeah it's explodes it's like, kind of like magic it is like i know magic. it's not magic but it seems like it when you yeah. see it all set up how did they get in the car but it's really been fun to see people come and react to it and see imagery from all over the state which is what i really wanted 
for people to get a taste for how diverse the landscape is. I know most people understand that, but uh, all over, people sometimes don't get a chance to go visit other parts of the state. And I'm, I'm hoping to say, yeah, you need to take a trip. Go take one of your vacation times and go to a place in Idaho you haven't been. Some, some place all the way across the state or that has a different mm -hmm. land. Because and, and, it's really fascinating to do. And it's, and it's rewarding. It's really fun to do. People are great all over the state. And the landscape is unmatched. And I bet that you could pretty much get anywhere in Idaho for a three-day weekend. Yeah, you could. You know? Yep. You wouldn't get enough time anywhere, but you could go and see a lot of these places. You could see a lot. And actually, one of the things about the paintings I did, I wanted them to be of places, Middle Fork accepted, of places that are fairly accessible. You know, you don't... I know there's a lot of backcountry, a lot of hike, backpacking places. There's a lot of places in Idaho to go where there's no roads or, or you need to be very, very good shape or have special skills if you're going to climb Bora or something like that or do any rock climbing. And of course, you're going to see a lot of things that a lot of us can't see. But I, I wanted places that were accessible to anyone who perhaps had a car and was maybe willing to go down a gravel road or at least to... Uh, to take the time to go drive on a trip. There's so much to see. There's so much to see. This is the part of the interview where most people would say, well, Carl, what's next? But I'm not going to ask you that because I think it's important. This is a lesson for everybody. It's important to kind of reflect and be honored and honor what you've done without being like, well, what's the next thing coming? <laughs> and you kind of said on this trip, like, this has been a good, really good project. I don't know what my next project is. I don't. <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. And, that's, and this has been amazing, an amazing project. And it's been so fun for me to see these paintings and watch this tour come together. And I don't know, just thank you so much. Well, this is a good time for me to say thank you so much because it's been really great to get to know you. You've been helping out with us in this leg of the trip. It's, I'm so glad you've been along. You've been the voice of the ICL at these events. And I'm really glad for that, to, to make it, for people to know this is a partnership and, and how important the ICL is in the work that they do. Hannah, it sounds like you had such a fun time um, on this tour with Carl. The trip was like the highlight of my time with ICL so far. It was super fun to have an excuse to spend time in Pocatello and Chalice, which are places I hadn't been yet on the job. I work in Ketchum, so I spent a lot of time here and know a lot of the folks, and that party was really fun. And then I also spent a lot of time in Twin Falls with our Snake River work, and so, I don't know. It was really cool to kind of get out of those that little orbit and see other parts of the state. I hadn't been a chalice since I was 17, and it was stunning and beautiful, and the drive was like sunny, and it was just it was just amazing. Do you have a favorite moment from the trip? Let's see. After the Ketchum show, uh, Carl and Tracy and I grabbed dinner in Ketchum, and it was just really nice to get to spend time with them and get to know them a little bit. And I also feel like I found a different painting, at a different favorite painting at each of the shows. Did you have like an overall favorite after seeing them all and like spending some time with them, like an ultimate favorite? Well, one of my like favorite favorites ended up getting sold and it was this luminous one of the middle fork of the salmon with like this yellow light coming around the bend of the river and it was just glowy. 
Um, but the other one that I kept coming back to was also a river painting, and it was of Wright Rapid on the Snake River, which is named that because there's a Frank Lloyd Wright house just above on the cliff on the Snake River, um, which is near Hagerman, and I had rafted that section of the snake this summer with ICL, and I recognized the rapid in the painting, and other than being totally stunning and there's a really cool shadow over the river and the rapid looks really cool, I thought that the painting was a really good way for me to start conversations about our Snake River work, so I found it very useful and also very beautiful. That's really awesome. Um, and, you know, that's kind of the goal of the Artist in Residence program is to communicate ICL's conservation work in new ways that resonate with people. Um, and it's cool to incorporate something so visual and artistic in the work that we're doing. Um, and Carl's paintings really show why Idaho's landscapes matter and help us connect, you know, the beauty of art and the wonder of Idaho with all the important work that ICL is doing to protect it. Exactly. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing the whole show in Boise. And listeners, I hope you don't miss it. And I hope you check out the other future dates that we were talking about, like I said, McCall, Lewiston, um, and a few others. So head to our website and hopefully you can come see some of Carl's beautiful paintings in person. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of Wild Idaho. And we'll see you next time.